You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. The show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, like Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Himalaya, whatever you like, or you can just ask your smart device like Siri, Alexa, or Google Home to play podcast Locked On Vikings. And today I am going to talk about uh, some free agency options that are a little bit more realistic, kind of some bargain bin guys, although I don't like to say that because it makes it sound like they are of subpar quality, but you know, some, in a previous episode we talked about the big fish you could go after in free agency, these are the little fish, the guys that maybe could more possibly fit into the Vikings plans, and most importantly comprise an efficient deal. But before I get into that, I just kind of want to round up some of the relevant uh, news and rumors that are uh, have leaked out of out of the combine. Some of the reporting that has been done with uh, both Vikings players and potential Vikings players, and just kind of round up some of the little miscellaneous nuggets that you might care about. The first, uh, a lot of this comes from an ESPN Insider article that was all about the kind of whispers from the combine. I'll link that in the show notes if you have Insider, you can check it out. But first, the rumblings coming out of the Vikings camp is that. They will extend Kirk Cousins. It seems like the rumor is that they are leaning heavily that way. However, they are in no hurry to do so. While they could save some salary cap by doing it before the draft, the team typically waits until after, and they believe that they can afford to do that, leaning on other contracts to find cap space. There are also whispers that Anthony Harris's extension price, or free agent signing price if he goes to another team, will exceed $10 million, which shouldn't surprise anybody, but with the franchise tag at $12 million, gives you a sense of his market and the safety market in general. Washington is planning to franchise tag Brandon Scherf, which changes the guard market, and in other guard news... The Carolina Panthers are shopping Trey Turner, who they signed to a pretty big extension and want out of that contract. Whoever trades for him would get him at a $9 million and $11.5 million price tag, respectively. So because of that number, this whole thing is probably a non-starter for the Vikings, right? They're never, they were never planning to spend $9 million and then $11.5 million on the guard position, considering the cap constraints that are going on elsewhere. And if they were, they're probably not going to spend a draft pick to do so. But because of the the Panthers cap situation, they are not in much better of a spot than the Vikings. And because uh, Trey Turner is kind of coming off of a down year and they're clearly just trying to offload that contract, uh, you know, they're definitely selling low on Trey Turner. So in terms of the draft compensation it would cost, it's probably a late day three pick. It's unfortunate that the Vikings aren't in a situation to take advantage of that kind of deal because I think a late day three pick for a guy like Trey, Trey Turner is a good deal and it's just unfortunate that you kind of have to take on that contract, though there is no signing bonus attached to that contract and you'd probably have to rework the deal anyways. That's because the signing bonus that was attached to the contract would stay on Carolina's books and wouldn't travel with Trey Turner to his new team, especially with Brandon Scherf getting franchise tagged uh, over in Washington that's going to mean that the free agent guard market is going to be that much more difficult to navigate, and going after a blockbuster signing like Joe Thune is going to be that much more difficult. There are less players to bid over, and therefore more teams are going to bid more hungrily to get that guy, and that probably means pricing out the Vikings pretty easily. 
other Combine whispers continue to kind of roll out as reporters are putting together all of their notes from the week in Indianapolis, though none of it comes as too much of a surprise, considering the way that Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman talked about the Kirk Cousins and Anthony Harris situations respectively, it isn't too surprising to learn that the Vikings are heavily considering extending Kirk Cousins and that Anthony Harris's price is up there with the blockbuster deals given to the best safeties in the league. Still, there are many pieces to fall into place when it comes to the Vikings' free agency story and their possible cap casualties, and as with all things, we'll have to wait and see. So then let's move on to the main topic of the day, which is these kind of uh, like free agency bargains. But again, I, I don't want to, I want to be careful about implying that as they are bargaining, you know, oh, they're like the junk heap clearance sale type guys. No, these are, these are guys that come at like efficient deals that I actually advocate for the Vikings to pursue. Because if the Vikings want to have like an impactful free agency session, they can't sell the farm to go after one big guy. And and doing that, even if you didn't have to sell the farm, even if you had abundant cap space, it doesn't behoove you to spend it inefficiently. And that's what the, some of those bigger deals would be. You know, spending $20 million on Amari Cooper, Amari Cooper is very good, but that's not an efficient use of money. And that means that, you know, you are taking away from what would have been spent on other positions. Obviously, when everybody's dealing with the same salary cap, then it's whoever can fit, you know, the most good players under that cap using rookie contracts and clever signing, uh, clever contract structures and just generally looking for efficient deals. And what makes deals efficient isn't necessarily, I mean, there, there isn't like a one-to-one -one correlation between how good a player is and how much they'll cost. There are certain market factors that have nothing to do with how good a player is at football that might affect their price. And navigating those markets and those inefficiencies is kind of what separates the men from the boys in this regard. So before I get into the specifics, just like with the Big Fish uh, episode, I've just got like a few names that I like. It's not comprehensive. It's not everybody that I would possibly enjoy. I could totally like somebody else if it's, it's what happened. These are just some guys that I picked out that I think would make sense. But before I get into all of that, I want to talk to you about advertising on this podcast. If you are somebody who is interested in selling a product to the kind of people that would listen to a daily Vikings podcast, the kind of people who are sports fans, local people, uh, Minnesota people, if you have a local business, the kind of thing that local fans love to support, then maybe we can help you out. So text advertising to 33777, uh, that's 33777, or you can go to lockedonpodcasts.com slash advertising and tell us who you are and a little bit about what you do, and we'll get you set up for advertising success here on the Locked On Podcast Network. So I'm going to start, I know we just talked about Trey Turner, but I'm going to uh, start by talking about the other Carolina Panthers guard, Greg Van Roten. And it doesn't sound like it's too likely that the Panthers are going to bring him back, uh, but it sounds like the, the fans really want the Panthers to bring him back, but they are in a situation where they're trying to you know lock up Cam Newton and deal with a bunch of other impending free agents and stuff. And so they're trying to like offload guys on the offensive line, I guess, you know, get kind of... Uh, sacrifice at the guard position so that they can be shored up elsewhere, and that leaves uh, Greg Van Roten as a pending unrestricted free agent that they, I don't know if they are going to gonna re-sign. So I asked uh, Bill Rossetti at Locked On Panthers and, uh, about both of these guys, and what he told me about Greg Van Roten was it, the word he used was like plug-and-play. And it seems like he's not particularly scheme dependent. And this is something that was like difficult to research because, uh, I mean, he's spent some time with like the Toronto Argonauts, 
I don't know what run scheme they had up there at the time, but he does seem to be doing well in the Carolina Panthers like manpower scheme, and that usually requires a different skill set than what the Vikings would ask him to do. However, what the Vikings would ask him to do kind of shows up when you ask a guard to pull, right? Because what, what the Vikings ask guards to do all the time is cover a lot of ground before hitting their point of engagement, and I think when you're asking a guard to pull, it's a very similar skill set. But there's somewhat of a catch-22 here because, of course, you know, the Panthers just hired Matt Rule, and he runs an inside zone kind of hybrid scheme, but it does, like, require uh, zone technique from its offensive linemen. And so if they do let Greg Van Roten go, and it, you know, you would kind of hope it's a money thing, but there is something to be said for, like, well, if they're switching to a zone and then letting this guy go, doesn't that kind of imply something about the scheme fit? And I can't get that out of my head, um, but I that's kind of what I asked Bill Rossetti about, and he basically said, you know, hey, the guy's versatile and that his skill set isn't particularly scheme limited, even though he, he has a lot of experience, at least recently, in a scheme that doesn't match yours is kind of the vibe that I get. So I am willing to, like, give that a, a shot. And uh, Rossetti, you know, of course, is going to be... A, I would imagine at least a little bit biased toward his own guys, or at least, you know, more familiar than I am, and he said he wouldn't be too expensive. So what I think, and just looking at, like, the guard market in the last couple of years, I think that this would be like a Josh Klein-sized signing. It would fit squarely in the budget that I had laid laid out for uh, acquiring a guard, and I think that he could, you know, be an unflashy, get-the-job-done kind of guy, be a decent run blocker uh, in terms of the zone things that you kind of would need to calibrate in him, and I think as a pass blocker, I think he's a better option than Trey Turner and comes way cheaper anyways, and plus Trey Turner plays right guard uh, and would have to switch over to the left, or you'd have to, like, move Josh Klein over or do something weird with Drew Samir or whatever, so I, I really would like, you know, a left guard uh competition between Greg Van Roten and somebody either, uh, you know, Drew Samia, who I, I wonder if they'll try to teach him the left side or a rookie or something like that and, you know, kind of bring him in on a, a budget deal. I think that that would absolutely shore up some of the problems and really allow you to groom younger offensive linemen behind all these expensive free agents. And that's kind of the like penultimate step to having like a good uh, you know, efficiently paid offensive line would definitely mark, you know, like almost like the quarter pole of the offensive line rebuild we've been stuck in since like 2015. The other thing about Van Roten is that he's 30, uh, but he doesn't have a ton of tread on the tires. It's been a very like Tom Johnson-esque career path for him where he did like spend some time in Canada and, you know, spent a lot of years where he was just kind of like on the bench or, you know, on the practice squad. So it, it's not like uh, the other guy that I was considering for this and I kind of, for the fun of the the challenge I made myself choose, uh, but I was also considering like Steven Wisniewski, who I would also absolutely uh, be in love with if he ended up on the Vikings, and he was on the Vikings, had a cup of coffee with the Vikings uh, for a second in, in 2018, and then ended up going to the Chiefs and winning a Super Bowl over there, but he, I mean, he's been playing since 2012, and so, you know, the age consideration is a little bit more in play there. I think Greg Van Roten is still fresh enough. He's only got like two full seasons under his belt of like wear and tear on his body. And I also don't think that, you know, at guard, once that athleticism starts to hit you, it's one of those things that's like a little bit less devastating than it would be at like corner or wide receiver or something that, you know, really needs to be young and fresh. He's certainly not a candidate without his flaws, but uh, at the price he would come at, I, I think the price is absolutely right. I think it would be remarkably efficient, uh, even in a guard market that really only has one headliner and then everybody else is going to be bidding over average players.
So in the big fish episode, I talked about Amari Cooper and like how to soup up the wide receiver room. And I, I really had a, a tough time fitting Amari Cooper in, in a way that didn't make everything worse than it started out with. Uh, and I guess that makes sense, right? He would, if he would command a $20 million price tag, but what if they just went, went out and got a random, you know, Jarius Wright type guy that could just be like somebody filling out their depth in terms of the Vikings need at wide receiver. It's not a superstar. You know, they don't need a second round pick. They just need somebody to like make the team and play at an NFL level and rotate in and out with like old BC Johnson. And if like, if, if BC Johnson's chief competition for the wide receiver three spot is like Chad Beebe, then I think the Vikings have failed. I think that it, it shouldn't be too difficult to bring in somebody who is like, a, you know, a, a Kendall Wright shot in the dark kind of guy. And for that, there's about a million options. I'm going to go with Seth Roberts though. So I think there's an illusion with Seth Roberts and it's that, so his like target share plummeted once he went to Baltimore. He was out targeted by three different tight ends in Baltimore, but I mean, it was like the weird Baltimore offense, right? They came out in a lot of like multi tight end sets and, uh, you know, there were a lot of design Lamar Jackson runs, a lot of Lamar Jackson scrambles and just like a lot of Mark Ingram stuff. And so actual like possession wide receivers are going to be a lower priority there. And they would be in Minnesota too, but like, that's not something that Minnesota is going to be bothered by. I think because of the heavy saturation of guys that are as good as, as Seth Roberts. Um, and, and he was like pretty good in Baltimore and in Oakland, but he wasn't like a, a budding star or anything. I don't think you could call him a starter. That's not what the Vikings need. Uh, but he definitely wouldn't be the kind of guy that like on another team could be wide receiver too or anything like that. But for like Oakland and even f in, in Baltimore, I mean, he caught 21 passes and 18 of them went to for first down. So I get this super Jarius Wright vibe from him. And he's somebody that doesn't seem to be particularly bad at anything, except he has a, a minor drops issue, but nothing that like really bothers me too much. He dropped like two to four passes a year and that's not like horrendous to me, though it's definitely not good considering his, his like low market share, but it's certainly not a deal breaker for a backup player. And in terms of his actual skill set, you know, he can, he's, he's quick enough to run a deep route, although the Vikings probably would rarely need that from him, but otherwise he can just like be in the right place at the right time. He has that veteran experience and can be, you know, the second or third read on a play that's mainly designed to go to dig or Thielen and having that on the team would be really good. And the other thing is, again, there's so much saturation on the market. I think you could get him for like one or $2 million. He got a second contract with Oakland and it didn't work out very well. And then he got a one year prove it deal with Baltimore and they're going to let him walk. And so the optics of that, even though I think both teams were just like doing what was right for their cap and the fact that he's like sort of just a guy doesn't really justify the, the money that they were spending on him. The money that the Vikings would theoretically spend on him would be lower. And I think it's because when you've gone through two teams in two years, teams are going to kind of like depress your value because of that. And so I think there's a bargain to be had here with Seth Roberts and he's somebody that can kind of push BC Johnson uh, for playing time and really add competition to that room while rounding out a group that is uh, that was very well covered in how shallow it was last year. I got a couple more coming right up. They're both on defense and I'm probably more excited about them than anybody else. So stick around. 
Okay, so the first guy I want to talk about is on the defensive line, and I, I love this defensive tackle market. I talked about it in a previous episode, but because it's so top-heavy, um, you know, if, if you think about, like, how many teams in a given year are willing to give out, like, a blockbuster contract to a defensive tackle? Three, maybe four. This year, maybe there'll be more just because the, the market is so saturated, and so that second wave of guys, there's going to be very few people who are still looking for a defensive tackle, and the ones who are are the ones who also aren't willing to pay a lot. And so I think that's going to like especially deflate the price tags on these like second wave guys. And the second wave is what the Vikings typically prefer. They think, and, and I tend to agree with this pretty strongly, uh, you know, they tend to think about uh, the efficiency of the deal rather than the size of the deal. And they don't want to go after those blockbuster kind of like trap free agent contracts. So I think that there are kind of two factors here fighting against each other. For one, there's just a lot of good defensive tackles and, you know, the cap is going up and, and you know, free agent contracts are going to always kind of go up because everybody who is a free agent this year wants to be paid more than the free agents last year. But because of all of the, like, depressed uh, market factors, like the just saturation of it all and, and how top-heavy it is, um, you know, guys like Derek Wolf and Shelby Harris and Malik Collins are going to come at a price that is probably way lower than what they actually deserve. And I want to talk about Malik Collins because, so I asked uh, Landon McCool, who does Locked On Cowboys, um, isn't it nice to like be in this network where I could just like ask a guy from that team about their free agents? It's very wonderful. Um, and, and he said, and I kind of looked at other like Cowboys media and it all kind of, the, the story kind of came out that like, listen, he's a good player. Like there is, he's a He's a good under tackle and there's nothing about his situation in Dallas that like had to do with his performance as a player. It was more that their defense kind of transitioned over time into something where he didn't fit very well. They wanted him to be a one technique. Uh, I think he can be one technique or a three technique and that's very good for Zimmer. Zimmer loves that kind of thing. Um, but they had, you know, Antoine Woods and, and their defensive line kind of shaped up to be a different group of people. And so Malik Collins uh, was sort of like the odd man out. And then, you know, they're, they, they had to uh, save some cap space. And so, you know, he just doesn't seem to be in the cards for Dallas, though I'm sure if it were a matter of, uh, you know, just him being under, it's like they would release him or that they were like disappointed with him as a third round pick. It just seems like they want to do other stuff with their money. But the market isn't very good at recognizing that kind of thing in terms of the NFL. This is a, a free agency opinion that I've had for a while that, you know, teams aren't very like, good at parsing that, uh, you know, like when somebody like with Seth Roberts, when somebody who is probably just a fine player, but he gets cut twice by two different teams, that kind of makes it difficult for him to find his next stop. And I think with Malik Collins, it's hard to go get a blockbuster free agent contract because everybody's going to ask, well, why didn't Dallas give you this contract? And in reality, it's because, uh, cause they wanted to like pay Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper and stuff. But it still is like, that's already too complex a thought for like a full on market to actually like comprehend and apply because it's not like a singular entity. And that's the kind of inefficiency that you can take advantage of. So I would love for the Vikings to go after uh, Malik Collins. He's a decent run defender. He's a good like penetrating defensive tackle. He's exactly what the Vikings were missing without sacrificing what they want. I think he's a good Zimmer fit and I, I think he would be very welcome in Minnesota. And I think he comes at a price tag that makes sense. I had uh, in in my plan, I think I had something to the tune of like 10 or 11 million 
to spend on both an edge rusher to replace Everson Griffin and a defensive tackle to replace Linval Joseph. And I think Malik Collins would fit very comfortably if you look at uh, under that that constraint. If you look at last year's defensive tackle market, uh, Malik Collins, I believe, was something like eighth on PFF's ranking of defensive tackles. And if you look at like what the eighth guy got, I think it was something like four and a half million. And so you would expect that to go up, but I would just like keep it the same. And then you would have a little bit left over. You would have like a bunch of it left over to potentially go find like a veteran edge rusher to, to help you out. I think that would be a great bargain deal. And it's something that if you could like lock in that price for like three years, I think you'd be real, real happy about it in a couple of years. And the last guy I want to talk about is uh, Darkeese Denard, the other Michigan State quarterback. Uh, the Vikings, of course, had his good friend Trey Waynes on the team for a long time. And Darkeese Denard would probably be like a Trey Waynes replacement. And I think that you can pull that off one for one. You have to think about like the situation that he entered to in Cincinnati because he was uh, drafted the year after Mike Zimmer left in Cincinnati and for the longest time in Cincinnati, and it might still be doing this, I, I'm actually unfamiliar, but they were trying to replicate what Mike Zimmer did. You know, they were running the Mike Zimmer scheme. So like Darkeese Denard knows all of the like match zones and the terminologies and like the basics of Zimmer's scheme. You just kind of have to catch up on the wrinkles that Zimmer has added in his time here that Cincinnati hasn't caught up to. He played a relatively consistent game I don't know if he is like CB1 material and or if he will ever be and I think he's probably on the border of CB2 material but again you know we're looking for efficient deals here and because you know his uh experiment in Cincinnati is now kind of ending with a bit of a whimper there's not a lot of fanfare surrounding him and because you know there are guys like Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander, who I think are, I think Trey Waynes is a better player, uh, and I think Mackenzie Alexander is definitely dollar for dollar a better deal. I, I put that out on Twitter the other day, that if you're looking for a good, efficient free agent contract, even if Mackenzie Alexander hits the market, I still think he would be the person, like in a vacuum, I would want my generic team to go after, even if they weren't the Vikings. But, you know, barring those guys, there are other corners out there that are going to command like a little bit more attention. And I think Dar Darquise Denard might kind of fall by the wayside. I think he ranks like 12th in PFF's free agent rankings. And if you just take the average of like the 10th to the 15th type guy, just so that, you know, we're not taking too much gospel from another place. That adds up to like three and a half million for a CB2. I think that's a great deal. And I think he could absolutely play that CB2 role and be somebody that is, you know, uh, decent enough. He'll get, you know, he's he's not going to stand up to Michael Thomas or anything, but that's not what you would ask him to do. And I think he could assimilate quickly. And the other thing is that he's a really good run defender. I don't think he's quite, I don't think anybody in the league is as good at run defense in terms of like cornerback run support as Trey Waynes is, but Denard is pretty good at this. He's solid at his run fits. He can set the edge and kind of be the force player when you need him to be. Be disciplined. Don't give up the edge. Don't pursue too far upfield, all that stuff. And I think he's capable of all of that. And I know that Mike Zimmer loves that kind of thing and like really cares about it. So I, I really like Darquise Denard in terms of his potential with the Vikings. I think we know who he is. I don't know if, you know, Mike Zimmer would like unlock the real hidden potential of Darquise Denard, but I think, I mean, he's a decent player that probably could, you know, play every snap for you and not be the problem on your defense. And considering the state of the Vikings secondary right now, that kind of thing at a reasonable deal is exactly what they need. 
there's a lot of other guys that I would love to talk about. I want to talk about like Carl Joseph and Von Bell at the safety position. There's a couple of edge rushers I would love to talk about. Um, but ultimately, I mean, there are certain markets that I want the Vikings to be involved in. I want them to be involved in that defensive tackle market. I think it's it's just ripe with good deals. I don't want them to go anywhere near the tackle market. Tackle market is headlined by like one really big player, and that's kind of it. Like everybody's going to uh, bid over Jack Conklin, and then whoever loses that is going to feel a lot of pressure to go, uh, you know, bid over subpar or average players and you're just not going to get a good deal there. Plus, I don't really like any of the bargain bin free agent tackles. Uh, Otherwise, I probably would have brought one up instead of, um, you know, Greg Van Roten. But there are certain parts of the market that are just saturated and finding those places where you can get a deal is, I think, how you can construct a roster and a salary cap situation that, you know, is not in horrible cap hell all the time and also isn't like a broken roster that's in rebuilding mode. To transition out of this particular era and into the next one smoothly, you have to find these sorts of efficient deals, and I would advocate all four of these. So that's going to do it for this episode of Locked on Vikings. Thank you guys so much for hanging out. I have a real fun uh, pair of of shows planned for the rest of the week. If no news comes up, it'll be really fun. We're going to get a little weird tomorrow. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. The show's available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, or you can ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. I'll see y'all tomorrow, and as always, skull!